Good morning. All right, you know, the one place I didn't really hear good morning from was from this section like right here. These guys that just got back from camp, you know, they're like all, uh, it's morning. <laughs> no, welcome back, guys. Thank you all for joining us. My name is Randy Pauley. I am uh, the pastor here at Kahului Baptist Church, and I-, I thank you all for joining with us as we worship our God who is still ruling and reigning, and nothing has changed and ever will change about that. Uh, A few things in your bulletin, that insert that Uncle West mentioned, uh, on the back side of it, there is a website there. Uh, In my sermon today, there's no way I'm possibly going to cover all the things that would be helpful for you to know regarding what we're going to be discussing today. So I really, really, really encourage you Uh, Go home, check out that website. There's a whole bunch of really good resources on there. Um, There's about 20 videos by a guy named Sam Alberry, who is a very personal struggle for him. He's also a pastor. Just very excellent, excellent resources. Uh, So please check that out. Put it in your phone or whatever. And then one more thing, for those who helped with church work day yesterday, a big uh, mahalo, and thanks for coming and joining me as we were out weed whacking and and doing all sorts of stuff. So thank you guys, I appreciate that. Uh, Your bulletin says Genesis 25. If you've already turned there, forgive me. Uh, That is not correct. I did not get the change in time uh, as of Friday. The bulletins were printed, and I found out about the court decision Friday. So normally, normally things of national importance uh, generally don't warrant my breaking of a sermon series um, to preach the Word of God. However, uh, considering the historical occasion, and and I figured many of you are going to be coming here today wondering, uh, give me a word from God, Pastor. How, How should we process these things that have just happened? How should we respond? Uh, what should we be thinking? And what should our trajectory be in light of these things? I thought it best to take a break from Genesis uh, for today and respond to the institutionalization of what we will say so-called same-sex marriage. And then hopefully encourage you with some responses moving forward. Uh, I would be lying if I didn't say there was a small tinge of, I'm not going to say fear, fear is not the right word, Uh, maybe concern or uh, would be a better word of considering the events that happened recently in South Carolina, uh, the shooting of a church smaller than ours, um, nine dead, the pastor shot and killed, uh, considering the ruling of the courts, the cultural tide of Uh, politeness towards Christians and their beliefs quickly changing to anger and downright attack sometimes, and then combined with the fact that we had somebody inscribe a kill all pigs on our church sign in Sharpie marker. Um, All of that combining together, there there is some thought that, hey, it's not really that far-fetched in a community like ours that that couldn't happen here. Uh, And so, My prayer has been for you and for our congregation, and our world's rapidly changing. So uh, pray for me. Pray for my family. Um, I tell my wife regularly, and she does not really like this so much, but uh, having left the police department, there was kind of this sigh of relief, like, oh, the danger is not as imminent as it was every shift. But in some ways, it could actually be heightened 
uh, in light of the days we are living in. And so pray, pray for me, pray for our country, pray for our community, uh, and pray now uh, as after we read with me for our country, for your own response, and then also for me as I would speak God's words graciously and lovingly. 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15, uh, part of it's up on your screen, but flip there to your Bible, and then also flip over to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, and 1 Timothy 13, uh, chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. We'll start Timothy first. Paul's writing this letter, and he's writing to young Timothy, a young pastor, and he says, I hope to come to you soon. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church or the assembly of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth or a pillar and foundation of the truth. And then flip over to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And Paul writing to the church at Corinth, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. The word of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. And then 11 is the good news. And such were some of you. Past tense. You were changed. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is sufficient to communicate your love and the power, the good news of Jesus to wash sinners. No matter what stripe or cloth of sin we struggle with. You wash us, you sanctify us, and you make us, you declare us righteous before your sight because of the work of Jesus. Uh, So Father, now I lift up uh, our church that we would respond graciously and lovingly yet firmly, that we would be the pillar and foundation of the truth that you've called us to be. And Lord, I lift up our president, and our government, our, our leaders whom you rule and reign over, uh, Father, may you, Lord, give them eyes to see the deceitfulness of sin that what they are calling love is leading to death and will lead to condemnation. Lord, please do a massive work. And Father, we thank you that you did not leave us on this earth to primarily fight for marriage, but to make disciples of all nations, and because of that, we know your purposes will stand at the end of the day, and so we with great joy and confidence know you are ruling and reigning, and will bring all your purposes to pass. Uh, Lord, may our response be uh, mimic Christ's response, that would be uh, loving and gracious and merciful and compassionate and kind and humble, 
even towards those whom we may disagree with. And Father, as we lift up Jesus, as we proclaim the good news of Jesus, forgiveness from sin, may you draw all men to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So uh, historical occasions do allow for pastors to go really long, right? Right? I mean, that's just like, it's going to go down to history, so I get to go like two hours, right? I'm going to, no, I'm just kidding. It it might be a little bit longer. A few things. Notice the description of of 1 Timothy. This will be more of a topical uh, sermon this morning instead of our typical uh, just working through one passage. We'll be dealing with a bunch of them. Notice the description of the church, not this building. Okay, this is just a building. It's just a building, just like the one next door. And the one, okay. Notice the description of the church. You, blood brought, blood bought people, redeemed, washed, sanctified, justified. We collectively, we are the pillar and buttress of the truth, the household of God. So therefore, we must, we must not. Should or optionally can if you're exceptionally bold. We must speak the truth concerning things that have happened. We must. However, it must be spoken with great love, just as all truth should always be spoken with great love. We are not permitted to use truth like a club to cut others down, but to build them up. Our world has changed at a substantial pace from those who have gone before. My senior citizen, brothers and sisters, members of the AARP church, the world has rapidly changed and is rapidly changing. Even you could say breathtakingly quick. How should we respond? How should we live as Christians in this very new, yet at the same time, same world that we live in? On Friday, June 26, 2015, I woke up and heard the news that the Supreme Court of the United States had made a 5-4 to four rule deciding that the U.S. Constitution guarantees the right to so-called same-sex marriage. That morning, I immediately, I was going to leave to Camp Canine to pick up all the campers. I immediately went into my office and decided to write in that, that post because I wanted to encourage as many of you as could uh, immediately with a short response. That post was pasted on our Facebook page, uh, different social media outlets and things like that. It will also be available on our website. Uh, that post will form and has formed the basic outline of the sermon this morning with some additions and expansions. For additional resources, this is not going to be a sermon on why you should believe same-sex, so-called same-sex marriage is wrong. I preached that sermon some time ago from Hebrews chapter 13. You can check it out on our website. Go there. I really encourage you to listen to it because I will not repeat all of those reasons here today. Only suffice it to say, you cannot, we cannot get around the scriptures without destroying them, that they speak unequivocally that same-sex marriage is non-existent and is sin, and same-sex behavior is sinful, along with many other forms of behavior, to be sure. 
But we cannot get around the scriptures. We cannot say, oh, the God who created all things is good and great and holy without also seeing the goodness of his design in creation. One man, one woman in covenant commitment for the life for a lifetime. We cannot say, oh, I love Jesus. I just love the words of Jesus. He is so loving and, and said, love your neighbor and God is love. We can't affirm those words without also seeing that the institution of marriage that he created and upheld reflects Christ and the church. And so to define it differently or twist it or alter that definition is to attack the very work of Jesus. Justices were right. Marriage is indeed the most profound relationship we have because it reflects the relationship and work of Jesus for his people. We can't get around that. So check out that sermon. Uh, I think it's, it's called uh, Let Marriage Be Held in Honor. Taking notes, let marriage be held in honor. You can go check it out. Uh, and I give a fuller rationale of that. So what do we make of the Supreme Court's decision? should be up here on the screen for you if you're taking notes to help. What do we make of the Supreme Court's decision? If you can't read it, you gotta, just got to sit front and center, man. That's it. No. Um, what do we make of the Supreme Court's decision? Number one. First, since the decision impacts definitions of terms such as marriage, we should recognize that the Supreme Court is a misnomer or an incorrect name, for neither their courts nor their rulings are supreme. May we be a people like Martin Luther, who proclaim before authorities and councils that my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I can do no other. The Supreme Court is not supreme. There's a greater court. We will all answer to this greater court. And this court's rulings, the heavenly court, are absolute with no appeals. President Obama said of the decision that it was justice that arrives like a thunderbolt. The Supreme Court's decision. Justice that arrives like a thunderbolt. One day, justice will arrive like a thunderbolt, but it was not on Friday. Hebrews 4.13, no creature is hidden from his sight, God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We will give an account. You will answer to God one day. I will answer to God one day. He sees and knows everything with absolute perfection and perfect clarity. 1 Samuel 16, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Many of us get so frustrated with the justice system because it seems like they let criminals off the hook, but it's because their standard of proof is beyond a reasonable doubt, and that's good for us. We want that. But imagine if there was a judge who could pierce the heart with his eyes and knew absolutely what was happening, what was thinking, what were the intentions. How righteous would this judge's judgments be? Whose evidence is his own Inherent, piercing knowledge. 
let's pretend this is true. Just pretend. Let's pretend this is true. If God is looking not at your Facebook page church appearance that we have on Sunday mornings, the one that seems to have it all together, that where nothing's hidden, but he's looking deep at your soul, let's pretend it's true. He sees that addiction you're hiding. He knows about the affair you've had or are having. He knows how bitter and unforgiving you are underneath the smiles. He knows your complete web search history, and no matter how good the web search engines get, Google, Incognito, Safari, whatever it is, Mozilla, no matter how good they get at hiding your history, God sees it all. To him, you will give an account. What will the verdict be? Why are you laboring this point, Pastor? We were talking about the Supreme Court. Now you're talking about me. Why do I labor this point? Because there are some here who will affirm everything I go on to say about the Supreme Court's decision. At the same time, harboring perverse wickedness of their own without repentance. Know this, it is possible... It is possible to be right about marriage and your thoughts and views about marriage and be wrong about everything else that matters in life. We don't want to just be right. We want to be godly. And if that's you, you that's you, the, the hypocrisy that says bad, 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 right? We see this over and over again in the news. Senators voting for legislation against homosexuality or child pornography, and they themselves are involved in it. Pastors preaching against adultery who are having multiple affairs. We will all give an account, and it is needful if that is us to repent for our own sins, to get the log out of our own eyes first and trust Christ for forgiveness. Cling to the hope of the cross. The other reason I labor this point is because we will answer to that higher court and may we be a people in this church who are held captive to the word of God, who set anchor in the word of God so many people in the Facebook, social media, other spheres are making statements, news outlets. Love wins. What would Jesus do? God said, don't judge. Just let them be happy if they want to be happy. So many people are making statements about God and for God and on behalf of God. And in so doing, become false prophets. False teachers proclaiming peace where there is no peace. Don't become a false prophet yourself. Speaking words on behalf of God that are not true because one day you will answer for every single one of them. Read your Bibles, brothers and sisters. Know what they say. Trust them with your life. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Treasure the word you have in front of you. Second, what do we do second? So, recognize there's a court higher than our Supreme Court. Second, what do we do? We pray. 
We pray then to the Supreme Court for our courts, our president, and all in authority that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That's what we want. We want a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Resist the urge. Resist the urge to spread disdain or bomb Facebook with memes of anger and viciousness. Resist the urge to return hatred or some other form of ungodliness. Rather, we should express our sorrow, express your anger to God in prayer. This is always a good first response. Just pray. As soon as I went in my office, I just prayed. Just, Lord, help me to respond right. Help me to respond with the words of Jesus. But at the same time, help me to respond truthfully, boldly. Pray. The proverb says, many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. Right? That's what we're, we're hurting because we sought the face of the rulers and they didn't give justice. And Proverbs says, many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from God that a man gets justice. So pray. Seek his face. Though he's the only one that can actually do anything about it. Number three. Number two, pray. Number three, embrace your position in Christ as sojourners and exiles. Our homeland is no longer our home. Instead, we seek a city whose designer and builder is God. That's what we've been seeing in Genesis this whole time, right? Abraham left everything he knew, his homeland, and he became a stranger in exile in a foreign land, seeking the promises of God. And Peter picks up on this same idea and says, This world, so too, is not our home. And we set ourselves up for hurt when we live as if it is. We are strangers, brothers and sisters. We are exiles. Once you come to faith in Jesus and you proclaim Lord Jesus, not Lord Caesar or Lord anything else in your life, you become a stranger and exile. We have relinquished the treasures of the world and seek a heavenly abode with God. Fourth, so embrace our status in Christ as strangers and exiles. Don't lay up for your hope treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Fourth, since we are sojourners in a land not our own, keep your conduct among unbelievers honorable. Keep your conduct honorable so that when, not if, so that when they speak against us as evildoers, they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of judgment. Not if, but when they speak against us. Keep your conduct honorable. We should, this is going to make some of you squirm a little bit. That's okay. I want everybody to squirm a little bit. It's a good sermon if you, if you squirm. Let go of the America was or is a Christian nation idea. It's not, and I'm not sure that it ever was. The forefathers, at best, were influenced by the scriptures, but were deists. They did not recognize Jesus Christ, many of them, not all of them, as their Lord and Savior's. 
America is not a Christian nation, but the church is. The church is the only Christian nation that has and ever will exist. It is, in fact, a holy nation. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession. So what do you do in light of the Supreme Court decision? You walk in light of that citizenship like never before. You live as citizens who represent a higher king who have a higher standard, who do not require law to love their neighbor. You walk worthy of it like never before. That means we don't speak as followers of Christ without living as followers of Christ. There should be no area in your life, Christian, there should be no area in your life that you are not attempting to turn over to the lordship of Jesus Christ. This nation may have had Christian influence, but there's only one Christian nation, the church of Jesus. So walk worthy with a newfound zeal and steadfastness that Jesus himself said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of God. Fifth, lean hard, check this, lean hard into the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that he can redeem anyone. He can even turn a wicked nation from a destructive trajectory. Read the book of Jonah. If he chooses to, though, it will happen through the preaching of the gospel. Don't miss that. If he chooses to, it will not happen through legislation, but primarily through the preaching of the gospel, through the making of disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Lean into the cross. Proclaim the good news far and wide that the Supreme Court has ruled, but it was not today. The ruling came more than 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose again after being dead three days, which we celebrated in Easter. And then remember, no day was darker than the day the Son of God died on a criminal's cross. And that we are here today because that dark day was not the end of the story, and because it wasn't the end then, it will never be the end now, says Russell Moore. Lean hard into the gospel. Brothers and sisters, lean hard into the good news that Christ can redeem anyone and preach that good news. Now, what about towards those who disagree? You should have this coming up on your screen here in a second. One more. Two more. Right there. Now, okay, so that's what we should do for ourselves, right? What, that's what we should do. Recognize there's a higher court to whom we will give an account. Pray. And all the other things we said. What should we do now? That's what we should do for us. What should we do towards those who disagree with us? Because many of us have family and friends, right? Many of us have close friends. I have close friends who are, I really, really love and respect with, with truly a, the utmost authority, who are good people. I mean, there's just wonderful, fantastic people. 
What do we do with them? What do we do with a family member? Brother, sister, mom, dad, son, daughter. How do we respond? Maybe a fellow Christian who claims to believe the same Bible you do and says it's okay. How do we respond? The pictures you just saw are, I'm going to say this wrong, I'm probably going to botch it. Does anybody know what those are by just by looking at them? Do we have any, uh, what is it, botanists in here, horticulturalists? It's a melaleuca tree, right? It's a melaleuca tree, or for the easier term, paper bark, right? That's what most people know. I called McKella because he knows everything about plants and stuff in Twin Falls, and, and he failed me because he just called it a paper bark tree. I was like, I know it's called a paper bark tree, okay? I need to know the scientific name, right? No. Um, Melaleuca, paper bark tree. You'll find this tree. Anybody been to Twin Falls? Who's been to Twin Falls in here? Who's not been to Twin Falls in here? Who has lived here their whole life? Shame on you guys. Never been here. No. Um, Twin Falls, you'll find this tree above the first waterfall. So if you go over there and you, you kind of monkey up the, the ledge and, and you'll see these big trees like this. And, and it's actually a paper bark tree. And they're really cool because they're, they can get to be like 80 feet high, very wide, and they're soft. You can kind of hug them. I tried, okay? They're, they're soft and spongy. Or you can feel like a superhero and like punch it and like kind of indentations and stuff like that happen too. Uh, I've tried that also. Um, it feels really cool, right? But what you'll find is it's very soft. You can peel it away. It's also very hard towards the core and resilient and strong. So how should we be towards those who disagree? A lot like that tree. Solid on the inside. Deep roots. Tapped into the water source, high above the trees, solid and soft on the outside. Solid and soft, solid at the core, planted and rooted in God's word and unyielding to the truth, but soft and gentle to those who poke and prod. That's how we should be. That should be our general disposition. But what does that look like? What is, Pastor, I, okay, solid and soft. As opposed to, I don't know, a rougher tree. I don't know, spikes and something. I don't know, something. It's got spikes all over it. Any trees that have spikes? Pine tree. What? Okay, yeah. Whatever that thing is, okay? Solid and soft on the outside. What does this look like, though? In essence, it looks like loving God and loving others well. That's why I said things are different. This is a new world, but our task doesn't change. The first two greatest commandments are still the first two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It looks like loving people well, but we love them in the biblical sense, not the cultural sense. You say, whoa, 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 what's the difference? Biblical love is not, hear me, biblical love is not unconditional affirmation. That is not what biblical love is. You say, but Jesus loves me unconditionally. Yes, but he does not affirm our sin when we come to him. Yes, we sing, come just as you are, but Jesus never leaves us as you are. 
He changes you. He molds you into the image of Christ. Biblical love is not unconditional affirmation. In fact, biblical love demands we not affirm anything that will do ultimate harm. Because we love. I've had people sit down in my house and tell me, Pastor, I think I want to get a divorce from my spouse. My reasons are not biblical. There's been no abuse, no adultery, no abandonment. I'm just really upset, and I know God will forgive me, so I'm going to do it. Essentially wanting me to bless them. How do you love in that moment? How do you love in that moment? Biblically, and what's your answer? I'm not going to tell you what I said. No, I'll tell you. My answer to that person in that moment was, dear friend, we never sin that grace may abound. That's what they're saying, right? Just, I'll do it anyways. It's a sin. I recognize that, but I'll ask for forgiveness, and God has to forgive me because he's a God who forgives. We never sin that grace may abound, and if we do, we should be very careful. Because we have no reason to believe that if we do, that we are truly Christ's. I'm always reminded of the words of the pastor, Charles Simeon, who said, those who sin because of mercy will have judgment without mercy. Because they disdain the sacrifice of Christ. They deny the power of the gospel to change lives. Of course, it was very gracious in more words than that. But that's the reality. I, I cannot bless your decision. It is wrong. So biblical love can never rejoice at wrongdoing. Right, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, bears all things, it believes all things, it does not rejoice with wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. This is why we can't say, just let them love each other. Because in loving each other, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, don't be deceived, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. So how loving would I be if I'm condoning behavior that will damn them without telling them about it? without pleading with them, please turn. You're being deceived by sin. It's, it's offering you promises and it will not deliver. You will stand before a judge and you will see it's not too late. Turn. That's why we cannot rejoice with our brothers, with our family members, with our friends who are rejoicing in this right now, even as much as I love them. Because I cannot rejoice with wrongdoing. Everybody else who is rejoicing at wrongdoing is being false to the truth. So we cannot rejoice at wrongdoing. wrongdoing. As much as I love some of my friends and respect them, I can never go to their so-called weddings. Because that would be celebrating, rejoicing at wrongdoing. It would be bearing false witness to the truth that that actually is a union before God or anybody else when it is not. We cannot rejoice at wrongdoing. So what does it do then? We can't do that. What does it do? It looks like being a good friend. 
They say a good friend, Randy, would go to the wedding, not if that wedding would kill them. But a good friend would be a good listener, would be hospitable, would invite them over to the dinner, their house, both of them. You and your partner, come over, have some food, man. They'd be like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Are you guys going to like try and pray the gay away? I mean, no, I just want to love you. Right? Come, eat, come grind. Be a good listener. Somebody comes to you and says, man, I, I really struggle with this same sex you know, attraction type thing. Don't laugh at them. Don't say, ew, disgusting, because you have sins that are equally, ew, disgusting. Don't ostracize them. Love them. Oh, man. Recognize that was probably hard for them to confide in you about that. Thank you so much for telling me. Man, it's hard. I have desires that are ungodly too. Man, let's pray together. Be a good friend. Be hospitable. Remember, these people with whom we disagree are created in God's image and likeness. He made them. They are to be honored and loved in a true sense. What else does it look like? It means honoring your own marriage vows. Whenever I preached on this a while ago, I said long before the courts ever dishonored marriage, the church tolerated it and didn't speak against it when we dishonored marriage. Honor your own vows. Love your husband like the church loves and honors Christ. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Purpose never to leave. Till death do us part, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, for better, for worse. Honor your own marriage vows so that the world can see the design as God intended it to be. They can see the beauty of the gospel displayed and man and woman loving each other. Now, when I say that they are created, all people, all people without exception, without exception, are created in God's image and likeness. I am not affirming the desire, the same-sex desire, or any desire sexually that is not holy. I'm not affirming that. That's what you'll hear, right? God made me this way. So when I say God created you and without exception, heterosexual, homosexual, without exception, in his image and likeness, I am not affirming the broken sexual desire. We all, because of Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, we all have broken sexual desires. heterosexual, and homosexual desires. Man, woman, have you ever struggled with the desire to have sex with somebody who's not your spouse? That is a broken sexual desire. Have you ever lusted after somebody on the beach? That is a broken sexual desire. The desire is good. God created you with it, but towards the wrong direction, it is evil. Both Straight and same-sex individuals have broken sexual desires that need to be cast at the feet of Jesus. That need to be denied. Jesus said, let whosoever will follow, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Same-sex 
and straight. We all have broken, disoriented desires. And it doesn't follow, the logic doesn't connect that just because a person may struggle regularly with a sexual desire for someone or somebody other than their spouse, that they therefore must fulfill that desire in order to have a happy and fulfilled life. You see what I'm saying? Sexual fulfillment in life is not tied to ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction. That teaching is not in the scriptures. And therefore, it is not our fault. It is not the fault of the Christians, and we should not own that when people say, this is your fault because you suppress their desires. You try to change them. You, this is why they killed themselves. We did not ever and will not ever identify sexual desire with fulfillment and identity. That's not on the church. That's on the culture. The culture elevated sexual desire to identity. And said, if you are not fulfilling that desire, you cannot be who you were created to be. We never taught that. Jesus was the most fully satisfied, joyful man who ever lived. And he never had sex one time. So it doesn't follow that to deny sexual desires is a denial of a happy or fulfilled life. What's the point? We are all sexually broken and disordered and need to bring our sexuality into conformity with God's word for our own good. For our own good. So what about towards family and friends? What do I say? Well, I can't tell you that because it's so different. All of our family and friends are so different. I can't... Okay, step one. I love you. Step two, right? No, I can't do that because conversations don't happen like that. So what do you say? Well, I will say, give you some parameters. Remember the goal to those who disagree with us or who are unbelievers. The goal is not to get them to become ungay. It's not, that's not our goal. The goal isn't to get them to recant their belief. The goal is to point them to Jesus. That's our goal, to make disciples. Jesus and his word through the power of the Spirit will do the rest. That's not our goal. Our goal is to love God and love others, to speak the truth in love if you are asked. And in that moment, you are asked to be soft and solid in your response. And then be prepared to suffer. Dear friends, be prepared to suffer reproach, anger, scorn, mocking, belittlement, and knowing all of it, your Messiah has gone before you and conquered. Speak the truth. Speak it in love. Proclaim his message of coming judgment on all who disobey and proclaim his message of salvation from judgment in Christ alone. If for anybody who will repent and believe, and remember, these two go hand in hand, repentance and faith. All people, homosexual and heterosexual, must follow Jesus, must repent and believe in the gospel. If this is easy for any group, something's wrong. When we deny ourselves and we follow Jesus, we're going to feel that denying of myself, no matter who you are.
the best thing you can do, what's the best thing you can do and say? What's the best thing you can do and say? The best thing you can do for others, listen here, is to know the gospel and know it well. Know the message that you claim to believe that will deliver you and know it well. Because your life and the lives of many others will be impacted by that. And then pray for boldness to speak it. Pray that you wouldn't miss that opportunity. God, I need boldness. I need boldness right now. I need gentleness. Help me to speak a word that will point this person to Jesus. I don't want to be right. That's not my goal. I don't want you to be, aha, mental, logical, checkmate. Got you. That never works for anybody. We know this. Lord, help me to point them to Jesus. That's it. We need to be solid and soft as a church, collectively. That's what you can do individually. Know the gospel. Know it well. Point others to Jesus. What do we do collectively? We need to be solid and soft as a church. We have to strive to become open and accepting to those who struggle, that's a key word, to those who struggle with same-sex attraction and not ostracize them. In other words, we have to be a refuge for sinners. We have to be able to comfortably air our dirty laundry, whether it be same-sex dirty laundry or pornography dirty laundry or child whatever dirty laundry having problems with my kids, we have to be able to be a safe haven for those people because they will come. And in those moments, we are no better. We have to become a safe place for all people who struggle with sin. I'm almost done. It's hot. I'm hot. Somebody wants to come fan me up here. That'd be cool. No, I'm just kidding. If you're here, if you're here and you're struggling with same-sex attraction, this could be a very uncomfortable message for you. Be encouraged when I speak about adultery and sexual immorality and greed and envy. For those who struggle with that, it's a very uncomfortable sermon for them too. If you struggle with that, I want to invite you to come and pray with me. I'm not going to cast you out. I'm not going to attack you. We're about to have a time of invitation. I want to invite you to come pray with me. Maybe you're struggling with the decision of the courts and your response. I want to invite you to come pray. You can come pray with me, or you can just come pray. Pray for your children. Pray for your families. Maybe there's another group in here that, whenever I was talking about how we all give an account to Jesus, and I was talking about people hiding things and stuff like that, maybe that's you. Maybe that's you that I was speaking about. And you've been hiding some things and you need to confess some things and trust Christ to forgive you. Don't wait. Come today. Today you can have life and joy and walk in the light. Come today. And then as you go, brothers and sisters, as you go, remember, remember you are a pillar and foundation of the truth. Be solid at the core, and soft as you live among a dark and dying world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that is perfect and enlightening. I pray that, uh, Father, if I spoke with 
without love at any point. If I spoke in an unnecessarily offensive manner, then Lord, would you uh, please forgive me and make me into the man who would speak your words gently. And, and Father, I pray that the words that were spoken, uh, Lord, that they would be heard and received by the audience, that we would know that you love us, that you are ruling and reigning, that we will give an account before you, and that there is a Savior who will plead on our behalf. We have a mediator, the man Christ Jesus. So Father, may we trust him, may we honor him, make us a people of prayer, make us a people who love others like you loved him. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.